What's up, y'all? How we doing? Yeah? Oh, man. Okay. Well, we're starting a new series today called Free Indeed, and it's all about freedom. It'll take us through the uh, end of the year here. Um, I'm really excited about it. I've been praying about this series for a while. Um, we've been even reworking like some of the language and like our, our partnership documents and even like our front sign. We want our church to be all about freedom. This is a place where people come and they, they hear God's word. They, they experience the power of the Holy Spirit and they experience life-changing freedom. That's what we want for, for our church, to be a place where people are experiencing freedom. People are sharing stories of freedom that they've experienced. And um, I'm really excited to, to kick off this series, Free Indeed. It comes out of John 8.36, which is, Whom the Son Sets Free is free indeed. You know, freedom is, is pretty great, right? Like, uh, we just celebrated Veterans Day, right? We, we remember those who, who um, have served. We appreciate them. You know, many of our holidays are centered around celebrating freedom in, in one form or another because freedom is great. Amen? Like, is freedom great? It's awesome. It's great. And so we're talking about, about freedom. But here's the thing about freedom, is it needs context, right? Because what the church does a lot of times is say, you know, hey, you need to be free. And from an outsider perspective, they're like, I'm free. You're the one restricted by religion. What are you talking about, right? There, there, there's, this, there's this view that if you don't understand that there are shackles, that there are chains, you don't know that you need to be free. We need context for the idea of freedom. We need context for it. So, the, so I really want us to explore that idea of freedom. I want us to, to today to really walk through the idea of spiritual freedom, true freedom. And it's what Jesus is all about. It's what his ministry was all about and what I want our church to be all about. Can I get an amen? Okay. So that we, that's our theme verse for this series is... Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Um, we've got a slide here with it in all of the different translations that I, I liked uh, to pull up. If you want to pull that one up? Um, yeah, change the background. There we go. <laughs> we'll get it. Uh, so in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says, Therefore, if the sun sets you free, you really will be free. All right? You really will be free. Then the NET, it says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be really free. A little bit different. You really will be free, and you really will be free. And uh, the God's Word translation says, you will be absolutely free. I like that one. Uh, Young's literal translation, it says, uh, in reality, ye shall be free. I like that. Ye shall be free in reality. Like the reality is, if the sun sets you free... You shall be free. The Aramaic Bible in plain English. Anybody read that one? Like, is that anybody like that's their Bible? Like, they're like hardline Aramaic Bible in plain English? None of you? Really? Surprised by that. Uh, you will truly be the children of liberty. Come on, we've got to have some message readers here. Anybody? No? Man, we got a theologically sound church. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, so if the sun sets you free, you are free through and through. I like that. 
You are free through and through. Again, it begs the question, though. Free from what? Freed by whom? And freed for what? Right? Um, Let's go to this text here um, where we're getting this verse and look at the context that Jesus is speaking. um, And I believe we'll learn a little bit about it. It So Jesus said to the Jews, this is John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly. He's doubling down now, right? He said truly already, but now he's like, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Okay. So there's a lot of Jews that are starting to believe Jesus' message. They're starting to follow Jesus. They want to become disciples of Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, great. If you abide with me, you're going to be my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And just like outsiders today, those who who don't understand that they're enslaved, they say, what are you talking about? We're not slaves. Are you stupid? You're telling me I need to be free. You're the one that's restricted. I, don't tell me I'm not free. How dare you? And Jesus says that anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that's what he's here to free you from. And it's interesting here is he's saying the slave does not remain forever, but the son remains forever. Jesus wants to set you free, not just from sin, but that you would also be a child of God. That's pretty cool, right? So it's not just that you're set free, but it's also that you're given a higher calling. You're given purpose. I think that's pretty awesome. So the context here is that Jesus is saying we need to be from sin, freed from sin, freed by Jesus, freed for a higher calling. And we need a transition from slaves to children of God. Transition from slaves to children of God. For some of you today, um, you know, maybe we're all at different spiritual points. Maybe we have different perceptions on things. Um, You know, you you could walk in and be like, I'm not even sure what you're talking about here. You could be like, yeah, that was... I've experienced that already. Like, I've, I've been set free. Like, I, I get it. Some of you are like, nah, I don't know. Like, I thought I was set free. But then now I'm like, I'm not sure because it feels like it keeps coming back. These things, these things keep happening. <clears throat> it's absolutely be about being set free from sin. But I want to say this. It's not just about how far you've come. It's about how far you can go. Because we think of just freedom. Okay, I'm set free from sin. But, but then to do what? What are you free to do? 
Because freedom is a good thing, right? We all like freedom. Everybody likes freedom. And the context here is true spiritual freedom. But, but we all know that freedom is good. Like Lincoln is, is two years old and, and he even wants freedom, right? Like he wants to run in the street, right? And I'm like, no way, son. No way. Right? Like, and to him, that's like, that's good freedom. Right? Like, sometimes, like, he, he wants to do something he knows he's not supposed to do. And I'm like, hey, Lincoln, what are you doing? Don't do that. And you know what he does? So disrespectful. He goes, bye-bye. Like, get out of here. He's like, bye-bye. Leave me alone. I want to be free. You know? It, man, one of the times that you feel the most free in your entire life is when you get your driver's license in a car. Anybody remember that? Like, you're like, I am finally free. I don't have to ride around with those old people anymore. I don't have to rely on their schedules. I'm finally free. Like, we all love freedom. Freedom is a good thing, but, but we need to understand the context of what Jesus is saying here is that everyone who practices sin, which is every human, since Adam and Eve, they've all sinned. They've all been enslaved to sin. He says, there is a spiritual freedom that I want for you that takes you from slave standing to son standing in the eyes of God. And then when you're a son, there's so much for you to do. Because a lot of times we go, hey, you need to be free from sin. And they're like, you mean free from fun. Right? You mean restricted by religion. No. No. If that's how you're feeling today, I want you to know that that is not what freedom is. Freedom is not just restricting you. It's not, it's not just getting rid of those things that you're like, I kind of like those things. Like, why do you keep telling me not to do those things? No. It's so that you'll live in your higher calling. That you'll live in your true identity as a son and, and daughter of God. You were created in the image of God, which means that you were created for so much more. And, res- and sin is only ever going to restrict you. Sin is only ever going to restrict you from your higher calling, your better identity, who you truly are, and what God created you to be. Which all of that was made possible in Christ. So we need to be free. But here's the thing. My first point is this. There has to be a breaking point for the individual. There has to be a breaking point where you really decide that the freedom is better. you got to choose freedom. And there's always a breaking point for people when it comes to the subject of sin. There's a breaking point, right? Because it's, it's chains, it's shackles. There has to be a breaking point. I'm about to do a little history lesson. For those of you who don't like history, you can take a nap and uh, come back in about five minutes. Okay? <laughs> uh, in 1763, you thought I was joking. I'm not joking. Uh, since 1763 was the end of the Seven-Year War, and what we called it in America was the French and Indian War. And after this, the colonists in the United States would have felt as very proud Englishmen. Very proud Englishmen. They would have been honored and proud to be a part of the British Empire, the largest and most powerful empire that existed in the world. And the Seven-Year War... And the French-Indian War in the United States kind of sealed them as the most powerful empire in the world. And in 1763, just a a little over a decade before um, America declared its independence, every colonist felt as a proud Englishman. So what changed? 
What changed? Well, the seven-year war caused England to be extremely broke. They spent all their money on the war. And so they needed to recruit, recoup their wealth. And so England decided to take advantage of the colonists and start taxing them. And what you see um, is just a ton of restrictions. First, they said after 1763, you can't go past the Appalachian Mountains. We don't want you to settle any further because they needed to have control. Then they enforced the Sugar Act, which was higher taxes on sugar. The Stamp Act, uh, a couple years later, on all print. Uh, The Townsend Act, a further tax on all goods and enforcing of all of the taxes. They took over the local courts and started putting the judges on English salary rather than the colonist salary. Um, they had the, they started doing illegal seizures of ships, really trying to stomp out anybody who was avoiding these um, absurd taxes. And in 1773, then there was the Tea Act, which remember the Boston Tea Party, they're throwing all the tea over. That's what we learn about in, in uh, but there was a lot of these restrictions. There was a lot of taxes added, all these acts added over and over and over and over and over again. And it kept getting to this point where calls were like, hey, this is enough is enough. You got to leave us alone. And then there was the Tea Act. Um, which was not beneficial to anybody in the colonists. All it was was to keep the East India Company as a monopoly on tea, which was an English-owned company and where they got a lot of their wealth. And then they, even after that year later, enforced the Boston Port Act, which restricted trade. And then in 1775, the colonists still wanted to be Englishmen. This was one year before they declared their independence. They still wanted to be Englishmen. Even after all of this, they're still like, we can make it work. And they they sent out what was called the Olive Branch Petition to King George III. And said, hey, here, compromise with us a little bit. Compromise with us a little bit. What you're doing is benefiting you and you're you're not thinking about us. Compromise with us a little bit. And King George laughed it off and completely rejected it 100%. Which only proved their suspicions that it was a complete tyranny and he had, did not have their best interest in mind. And that rejection of the olive branch petition, according to history, was the breaking point that caused the colonists to desire a revolution and independence. There was a breaking point. And in that breaking point, The people finally realized that England did not have their best interest at heart. Why am I talking about this? For many of us, you have to reach that breaking point with sin in your life. You have to reach the point where you realize that sin does not have your best interest in mind. It does not have your best interest at heart. And a lot of times people either want to completely reject the idea that, that the, the sin or these sins are, are bad, right? And then eventually you're like, man, actually, I, I don't, it's not feeling good. And you try to work with it. You're trying to compromise. This is, the, this is the soul. It's the struggle of the soul. Like, maybe I can make it work still. But for you to experience true freedom in Jesus Christ, you have to reach a breaking point where you finally realize that this sin does not have your best interest at heart. And God truly has your best interest at heart. 
I've talked about this many times, and I'll probably continue to talk about it many times. When we look at Scripture, and we look at the things that God says, hey, don't do this, how about instead do these kind of things? And we go, why would he try to restrict us? It's because he's the creator of life, and he knows how life is best lived. Amen? He has your best in mind. He wants the best for you. And in fact, he knows what is best for you. And you have to reach the breaking point where you say, I finally get it. Those things are against me. They're warring against my soul. And when you get to that point, you truly reach out for freedom. There's a breaking point. So if you're not there today, you know, I would pray that, that God would reveal to you that sin does not have your best interest at heart. But God does. John 10.10 10 says, The thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Oh, come on. Right? The thief came to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. How does he do that sin in your life? What did Jesus come to do? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That they may have life and have it abundantly. Not just regular life, but abundant life. Come on, that's awesome. In the garden... Satan was a liar. He was lying to Eve. God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know the truth. He doesn't want you to be free. See, it's a lie of sin. He's lying. He's trying to get you enslaved to it. But God created them in the image of God. He created all things as good. He had man's best in mind. He wanted the best for them. And Jesus came to redeem that so that we would have life and life abundantly. Amen? Okay, so we have to reach that breaking point. My second point is this. This is a very long point. You guys are going to have to bear with me. We're about to like, just flood our minds with Scripture. It's going to be good. But also, we're going to have to pay attention. Okay? My second point is check for chains. Check for chains. Okay, Galatians. Uh, no, let's not go there. Okay, five ways we chain ourselves up as believers. Five ways we chain ourselves up as believers. Desires of the flesh, legalism, shame, fear, and false liberty. All of these could be put under category of sin, right? But I think it's important to specify these different types Because I believe everybody in this room makes decisions at times as believers to chain themselves back up. How ridiculous or absurd would it have been if George Washington got a chain out and was like, just kidding, never mind, can you chain me back up? Can we be restricted once again? Now, as absurd as that sounds, the reality is, all believers do that in one way or another. As absurd as it sounds for us to go walk up to Queen Elizabeth and be like, it's been a couple hundred years, you know, but uh, 
Can we get chained back up? We've been free for a while, but I mean, she is a lot sweeter and, and very nice and much better than George III. But still, it's still going back and chaining yourself up to the things of old, right? Five ways we do that. Desires of the flesh, legalism, shame, fear, false liberty. We're going to go through all of these. The first is desires of the flesh. Originally, my first one was just sin. But, then, but sin is very general, right? Sin is, is a problem in the world. Sin is the absence of God. Sin is the things that are opposed to God. And I felt it was important to specify here the desires of the flesh. Because all of these will kind of fall under different elements of sin. Desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Sounds obvious, but it's also so good. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He's set you free to be free, right? Free means free. It really means free. That's what he set you free for. But then Paul Paul charges the Galatians, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He created you for freedom. Why would you put the yoke back on? Why would you put the chains back on? One of the main ways that we do that is the desires of the flesh. Galatians then gives us, a list of desires of the flesh. And what I like about this um, is Galatians 5.19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're evident. The works of the flesh are evident. The thing is, you know what they are. Like, you know what they are. We all know what they are. But he says they're evident. And here's the other thing. It's like, you know what they are. Other people know what they are. And they're really hard to hide because people see them in your life. People see them in your life. We think we can hide them sometimes. We can't. Chains are obvious. Especially over time. Nothing remains hidden. Light exposes all darkness. 519. Now the works of the flesh are evident. evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. He's like, there's probably a longer list in your head. You know what they are. They're evident. Things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. First Peter said it this way. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You didn't know you needed to be free before. You were ignorant of what freedom could really be like. Why would you return to the passions of your former ignorance? Why would you return to the passions of your former ignorance? Paul said, don't chain yourself back up. Don't put that yoke of slavery back on. The main way we do it is probably the desires of the flesh. Every Christian struggles in one way or another. But to call it what it is, chains. To call it what it is, the passions of ignorance, is really important. One of the ways to get past the desires of flesh. John, in his epistle, he said, confess your sins and you will be healed. The desires of the flesh are the things that, some of these other ones I don't think that people mind talking about as much. But the desires of the flesh, people don't like to talk about. Because there is a lot of shame that goes with it. 
Confess. Find some people that you can be real with, honest with, that you can pray for each other. And God does healing in confession. He does healing in confession. Because the reality is that you are free. Because he justified you. He sealed you for salvation. And in heaven, he made you in right standing before God. But then you chain yourself back up. And the thing is, like, those, those chains don't actually have any power. They only have the power that you give it. Because those chains were already broken at the cross. But you have to live in the freedom. He created you to live life abundantly. You have to choose. The second one, maybe the most deceptive one, is legalism. It's legalism. The thing about legalism is not everything that gets called legalism is legalism. Right? To some people... If you say anything's a sin, they go, you legalist. How dare you put legalism in my life? We'll get to that later, number five. But legalism is very deceptive because it works its way with kind of a sinful intent in your attempt to do good works. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Jesus did everything that was needed for salvation. Legalism, by definition, is adding to salvation. It's adding to salvation. Jesus was good, but... You really need to do this or you're probably not saved. Jesus tried, but you still got to finish it. That's the mentality of legalism. But it wasn't a complete work at the cross. Legalism will have you constantly questioning your salvation. Whereas repentance and growth doesn't have you questioning your salvation but going to the loving Father, confessing your sins, getting people speaking in your life, and working on those works of righteousness that He wants to develop, that fruit in your life. But, but really, legalism comes out and it just looks like a lot of law. It looks like a lot of rules. And legalism always starts with good intent. In Jesus' day... The Pharisees were very legalistic. And like their intent was like admirable. Oh, can't speak. Admirable. I can't speak. Okay. Anyways, it was good. They had a good intent originally. They're like, here's God's laws. Let's not get anywhere close to breaking those laws. So we'll create more laws that prevent us from breaking the laws. They added more law and they made it more and more difficult. And pretty soon the focus was not where it needed to be, but just on all these minor laws that were not even in Scripture. In Colossians, Paul addresses this in chapter 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were, if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Refer, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, necessitism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Legalism is adding additional rules to Scripture. Thinking that the rule will stop the indulgence of the flesh. How many of you did that work? Right? How many of us did rules really keep us from the desire? Rules don't. But the transformation of the Holy Spirit working in our lives does. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts. It regenerates us. It makes us a new creation. Rules don't do that. Rules don't do that. Jesus already fulfilled everything that was needed for salvation. Everything that was needed for salvation. Now, that doesn't mean we need to go and add to it. What happens is as we're being regenerated, we should naturally want to do more good things and less of the old things. We should want to reject the desires of the flesh and move towards the fruits of righteousness. And that comes by our our love for God, our love for Him, our, our thankfulness of what He's done for us, realizing that we could never do anything to earn His, His love, to earn salvation, yet He gave it freely. And because of that, out of our thankfulness, out of our joy, we reject the old and live in the new. Now, the third one, and a very powerful one, is shame. Shame really gets people caught up. It really chains people up. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You have been set free. You have been set free. So there is no condemnation. The enemy would love to bring up those memories. He would love to bring about that shame and make you feel unqualified, to make you disqualified. But Jesus didn't care. He died on the cross for your sins. He made you qualified by his blood, by his washing. So there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we are to feel convicted about sin. So what's the difference between you know, shame and conviction? Or conviction and guilt? Paul speaks of it pretty well here. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9, he says, Yet now I am happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See the difference there between conviction and guilt or shame? Conviction gets rid of regrets. It gives you confidence in Jesus which gives you confidence in your life to move forward and keep going. 
Shame restricts you. It brings death in your life. It restricts you. It makes you feel like you can't do anything. God doesn't want you to feel that shame. He wants you to feel, okay, like, I messed up. I need, to, I need to do better. You do. You need to grow. But you don't need to sit around beating yourself up. You need to go, Jesus died for that. And by his grace, I'm going to move forward and get past it. That's conviction. Shame holds you back, beats you up, makes you question everything. The fourth one is fear. Fear is, is restricting for so many believers. Fear is very restricting. John 4.18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God is doing a work of perfecting you in love. And there's no fear in that. If you struggle with fear, God wants to free you from that. Because there is no fear in perfect love. God sets us free from it. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He goes on, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Father. You did not receive a spirit of fear and slavery, but of freedom and as a child of God. If fear is something you struggle with, God wants, you to, wants to set you free. He wants to break those chains. The fifth one is the opposite of legalism. It's false liberty. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. There's false liberty. There is false liberty. Many people will live in false liberty. They'll be like, I'm free in Jesus, so nobody can tell me what to do. I'm free in Jesus. He writes his law in my heart. Whatever I feel is right is right. I'll do me. You do you. Frank does Frank. It's all good. It's false liberty. That's not the type of freedom that Jesus gave you. The Bible is very clear. Do not use your freedom to do sin. Use your freedom to serve God. Use your freedom to love others. Use your freedom to grow and be more like Jesus. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. There's a choice there. How are you going to use your freedom? You're free in Christ. His grace abounds. But you can abuse that. You can take a lot of advantage of that. He says, don't do that. Don't use your freedom for opportunities of the flesh. Use it to serve one another. Use it for love. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? That's the argument, right? Because when you really hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that there was nothing you can do, it's all in Jesus, and even after you get saved, there's still nothing that you can do. It's not about you. It's about the work of the Spirit in your life. He's already accomplished it all. It's already sealed and you're already justified in heaven. Well, you go, well, then I can do whatever I want. This is fantastic. No guilt anymore. I'll just run around, do whatever I want and just wait till I get heaven because I'm, I'm sealed. This was 
the people in Rome's question, right? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Like if every time I sin, God gets to show his glory in giving me grace and forgiving me, maybe we should sin more. It just makes him look more loving. Paul's like, no way, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's like, but you died. The old you died. So how can you still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. Of life. That's why we get baptized. To symbolize that the old me died and the new me rose with Christ. Why would we let that old person control our actions, lead our hearts? There is a battle. We do struggle. Like we, we still are in these bodies of death, as Paul talks about. And sometimes there is this internal battle we feel. But he says, you got to choose to live in the Spirit. you got to choose to walk in the Spirit. You have to choose the things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Other translations say, I will not be enslaved to anything. Sometimes good things become God things, and they can be really enslaving too. Like, I'm supposed to work and support my family, but if, but if my flesh led me, work could become a God. Money could become a God. It's a tool, but if good things become God things, they enslave us. So sin in your life can enslave you, desires of the flesh can enslave you, shame can enslave you, fear can enslave you. Good things that become God things, that you, uh, that's idolatry, they can enslave you. And even your sense of freedom can enslave you because you start abusing grace. You start living in a false liberty. Jesus already defeated all of those things. Whichever one stuck out to you the most here out of those five, whichever one made you feel convicted or maybe felt some shame about, Jesus already defeated it at the cross. You have to know that. Because right now, we could read those five points, and I could preach a whole different sermon where I just get you feeling really bad and make you want to just like, i got to do it. i got to muscle up, muster up, and kick the sin out of my life. <laughs> and you know what? That would be a false gospel. That would be a false gospel. Because Jesus already defeated the sin, the whatever was coming to mind, whichever one of those five you struggle with, he already conquered it. Because he conquered all sin and all death for all people at the cross. And he rose again for your newness of life. So what do we do? We start living as free people. Just choose freedom. Free really means free, so live a free life. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the Bible says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Set your mind on the Spirit, and you will not 
gratify the desires of the flesh. And in the Spirit, we know that we are children of God, that we have a higher calling, that He has so much for us to do, like really exciting things, really cool things. My third point is kids eat free. Kids eat for free. Lincoln's at that age still where he like sometimes he gets free food. Like I don't have to if I took him to see he's seen two movies in his life. Well, he's seen a lot of movies on Netflix. We're good parents. Okay. <laughs> we didn't just watch like movies. Uh, I took him to Cars Three and I took him to Spider Man Homecoming. He likes Spider Man. Melissa was unsure if I should take him to that movie. I'm a dad. So like if I want to take my son to Spider Man that's what I almost took him to Thor, and then I didn't, and I saw it, and I was really glad I didn't take him to that one. <laughs> that one is way darker than, uh, like, there's, like, people who raised from the dead, and they're all scary, and anyways, okay. Didn't take him to that one. But Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man. Every kid ever should love Spider-Man, and should be allowed to see Spider-Man. <laughs> there are certain times where you, you pull the dad card. Well, I'm his dad, so... <laughs> my mom told me that's what my dad was Batman when I was like three. My dad's like, he's seeing Batman. Like, we went to bat- I don't remember it, but we saw Batman when I was three. So my son saw Spider Man when he was two. Kids eat for free. They can go to movies for free. A lot of times they can eat free. Uh, if they're under a certain age, they, they sit on your lap in an airplane and you don't have to pay for their ticket. Um, life would get really expensive. <laughs> if kids didn't eat for free at a lot of places. Um, Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are no longer a slave. Everybody, listen. You are, if you were in Christ Jesus, he has set you free. And listen, you are no longer a slave. You might feel like it. You might try to go do the things of God and you feel this chain on your leg. Right? And you're like, I didn't realize that was there because there was some slack, right? But as soon as you started to pull against it, as soon as you started to fight it, you felt the tension of the sin. You felt the, the pull of it. That's not the reality, though. Those who the Son sets free are in reality free are really free will be really free they're free through and through and you're not just free from sin you're free to live as a son as a daughter of God isn't that cool and here's a cool thing if you're a son or a daughter what does that mean it says it means that you're an heir you have an inheritance of wealth and treasure and spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit to just consume because it's your inheritance. Kids eat for free. Romans eight fifteen. We'll read this one again. For if you did not, re- for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to b- fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our sp- spirit that we are children of God. My son has never had to pay for a meal at my house. 
He has never had to pay for a meal at my house. When he turns 18, he will. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. But, well, we'll see. It's the kind of decisions you just have to make as you go, right? <laughs> like Spider-Man. Uh, God wants you to eat. He wants you to consume. He wants you to participate in your inheritance. He wants you to enjoy your inheritance. God created you for so much more. And sin restricts it. Sin pulls you back. Sin distracts you from the freedom that God has for you. He wants you to live as a child. There's something really beautiful about that. When your heart and your spirit understand that you're a child of God, your view of God Almighty changes. And sin loves to distort your view of God. He lo- the, the enemy loves to make you think ill of God. To fear him in an unhealthy way, right? To think of him as this big guy who's just watching everything you're doing and like judging you on everything. And though the Bible is clear that God sees all, he knows all, he hates sin. He sent his only begotten son to die on a cross that we would have forgiveness, newness of life. An eternal life with him in heaven. When you understand how much he loves you. You understand that you have a new identity as a child. You can run to him as a father. You, he, you can be embraced by him as a father. And start living in his riches. Man. If we could get that. Because I, 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 what I feel is that in this room, a lot of you don't spend a lot of time going to the Father in prayer or reading in scriptures because you have a distorted view of who he is. I feel like many of you let those one of those five things or multiple hold your relationship back. You allow that chain to keep you from a deeper relationship with your loving Father who is in heaven, who died, who sent His only begotten Son to die for you so that you would be free. Am I wrong? Because if we really get it, we see that the only way to rid ourselves of the chains that we put back on is by being close to Him. Is drawing near to Him by walking in the Spirit, living our life in the Spirit. That's how we're close. We're close to God. And we let those things just hinder us and pull us back. And Jesus absolutely wants you to be free because He created you for so, so, so much more. This last verse. Psalms 118, verse 5 says, Out of my distress, 
I called on the Lord. Worship team, you can come up. And the Lord answered me and set me free. If you're a believer here today, sin causes you to feel that distress, doesn't it? One of these five is causing problems in your soul. If you're not a believer today, Christ wants to set you free. There's a breaking point you need to experience. We realize he has your best at heart. And for those of you who believe today, he wants you to trust him and his relationship more than you enjoy sin. More than you experience the sin. He wants you to experience relationship with him. And if you call him out of distress with a sin, sincere heart, a broken heart, like, God, I really need you. God will answer you and set you free. God will answer you and set you free. I'm going to pray that over us right now. Heavenly Father, for every person here today, God, whatever it is that came to mind, Whatever sin, Lord, whatever, if it was fear, shame, if it was an abuse of grace, if it was a desire that they really struggle with, Lord, if it was legalism or pride, whatever stuck out to their hearts, whatever you you convicted them of, Lord, you want to set them free right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that every heart would call out to you during worship in distress, calling sin what it is, sin, realizing the brokenness that it brings. God, I pray that you would ignite their hearts. Lord, that you would fill their hearts with your Holy Spirit and that you would set them free right now as you promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.